We welcome you to another playoff edition of the OTP. My name is Mike Keith. Amy Wells is here as usual. Hey, Mike. Happy playoffs. Happy playoffs to you. The playoffs continue for Dave McGinnis from Titans Radio, who now sounds again like Dave McGinnis from Titans Radio. Hi, Mike Keith. Very Much good better. Ad- very good advice for two days rest. Much better. And the great Jim White from TitansOnline.com is back, and he's writing. He's already making notes. He's preparing for practice. He's excited. Let's do this. It's good to keep doing football, it is. isn't it? Just keep doing football. Keep doing football and a uh, beautiful day in Nashville to practice and looking forward to going to Baltimore. And it's not supposed to be cold in Baltimore as it stands right now. Uh-oh, here's Amy Wells. It is not. just Amy Wells <laughs> it at is the not Storm supp- 5 Weather Center. It's not supposed to be cold. It's supposed to be in the 60s. There is a higher percentage chance than I prefer of rain. Okay. And that makes things a little bit hairy. But it was snowing in Baltimore yesterday. I made some phone calls. I have some friends there. And I was like, you're going to have to turn that off before You know, Amy Saturday. used to work for these people. Yeah, she did. Look. I did. It's where I Amy's started. Amy's got extensive experience in the National Football League. You know, I am all in on the Tennessee Titans, of course. Of course I mean, she is. No, no, no kidding. We, we've like, all worked at different places. Yeah. I mean, there's I, mean no, I have. There's no question of allegiance. No, no, However, it's not allegiance. It's, am, it's experience. No, I'm very grateful that they took a chance on me in 2011 because it got me here. She's so there the, you go. She's for the Ravens. I think she's I'm for not the for the Ravens. I think that Jim, she's wearing purple today. Here. You can't see no, that I'm on not. the ATP. Okay, we're posting a picture later. I'm wearing camel, which is not even close to purple. It's brown. Hmm. Mike little, Keith. I think they've got a little camel in their color scheme. <laughs> Mike Keith Big is losing credibility by the minute. Hey, man, uh-huh. I'm on your side. Thank you, Coach she, Mack. Her, she's a fan of, of Edgar, not Allen or Poe. Haters. Straight haters. they have three Ravens? They have Edgar, Allen, and Poe. Isn't that true? Poe is their big mascot. They uh-huh. do have a live Raven. That is not a thing that I ever messed with. Because you don't like birds. I don't do birds. Okay. Mm-mm. So releasing a Raven in the stadium is not fantastic for me so no i never interacted with the live creatures not my thing but they do have the three right the I, three uh, maybe okay i don't uh, one is too many so mm-hmm. i don't know beyond that coach mac your thoughts on mascots i know <laughs> i know all the mascots in the league i used to uh, i told you this story i think on the otp uh when i was coaching here i'd tape a hundred dollar bill behind the screen and put it down and then sometime during the week, I would just randomly ask around the room, uh, point one person out, nobody else could talk, what's the name of this opponent's mascot that we're playing? If they could tell me, $100. If they couldn't, went into the pot next How week. How often did you have to give up the $100? They started checking. When I, once I started doing it, they all started checking. So <laughs> once they knew what was coming, they all looked and would, would find out unless they were really not paying attention. But... <laughs> I mean, several. who doesn't want a hundred bucks? No, I mean they. It, it would be it would amaze you as, as the money that players make. What you know, I used to do that that uh, shoe carnival out here every Saturday, where I would pay the practice squad players fifty dollars if they could make a field goal from the twenty yard line, and then we would back it up every week. Okay, and you know then to go twenty twenty five, you know so paid out quite a bit of money on that too and they'd be out there practicing but that's week. more of a statement not about money but just about how competitive these that guys is 100 percent right it's what i'm saying it's not about the money it's about competing for something it's good stuff 
I'd compete with you guys for a hundred dollars mm-hmm. for anything, well, really. If or, or we could bet, hey, you don't, you're not allowed to wear purple if if you lose. I'm not wearing purple. Sure, I do look great in purple, but I'm not wearing. Okay, it. so let's move along now that Jim's gotten that out on the table about who <laughs> Amy's for in this game. Jim, we're gonna have a talk later. Uh, it's now been four days. Four days since the Titans went to Foxborough and won. Amy Wells, I'm going to give you the first crack at this. Of all of the takes that you've heard everywhere about the Titans' win at New England, what has been the most interesting take to you? That all of this, the Titans' success in New England, that the Titans' success really in the second half of the season has been kind of a fluke, flash in the pan, is not sustainable. I think that is the wackiest thing I have ever heard because the Titans are doing exactly what all good teams do. They kind of get their feet on the ground at the midpoint of the season, and then they increasingly become more and more successful, and they win the games that matter. The Titans are doing what every other team who is successful and credible does, but somehow when we do it, it is called unsustainable, and when other teams do it, it's peaking at the right time. Jim Wyatt. Well, I mean, I think the most almost comical. I think you know what's generated a lot of conversation is just the way that Mike Vrabel kind of manipulated the clock at the end to kind of return the favor for something Bill Belichick thought was funny when he did it against the Jets uh, in a blowout game, and here here we saw Mike Vrabel do it, and it worked for him. Uh, could have backfired. I mean, if the Patriots end up scoring and the Titans don't have a lot of time, certainly you run the risk there. But that whole scenario, I got a kick out of. Um, and enjoyed the conversation about it as well. Coach Mack? The national narrative is that that's the end of the Patriots dynasty. It's the end of Tom Brady as a Patriot. It's that, that that loss will start the decline of the Roman Empire. I mean, that's the one that's been in the national narrative a lot. Mine was actually how non-objective a lot of the media across the country is when it comes to the Patriots. They are really hated. Yeah, I mean, they, there are so many people who, and they, and a lot of these national guys and girls don't make any bones about it. They're like, "Yeah, I'm so glad they're out of it." It's like, wow. I mean, they, people just drop the facade of objectivity <laughs> and go, "I hate these people." I'm so glad they're out of it. I was stunned by that. I think people are bored. Like they're so tired of seeing these people come in and win a game and win the whole thing. Blah blah blah. It's the same cast of characters. It's lame. Like. It's time to move on. I'd never thought about, you know, but like I said, the take is, I mean, I'm not surprised that there are fans that feel that way. I've just been surprised by the media that has just admittedly, you know, been so open about, man, I'm glad these guys are out of it. I'm sick of them. It's funny. I don't have this. I mean, I I get the wanting a new champ, wanting some new blood in the Super Bowl. I've always respected Bill Belichick and just what he's been able to do. And the same with Tom Brady. I mean, I think it's incredible. And if this is the end, uh, I mean, it's a hell of a run. Oh, I'm like you. I'm exactly like you. I've never been that – I mean, I've just always respected more what they have done and been amazed by it because it's it's so hard because we're around it every day and you know – when teams say it is so hard to win, people go, yeah, yeah, whatever. But it really is in this league. I mean, it is so hard. And so I've always just kind of had a grudging respect for them. Yeah. I've never had the hatred. But 
we must be in the minority, Jim. No, yeah, I'm right there I, with you. I mean, yeah. I've you know, and I've competed against him for a lot of years. Had teams go, I mean, but to res- I respect what he's done, especially in the era of free agency and the salary cap. To stay at that peak of excellence for that long and be able to stay on top like he has with a lot of different people except for the same quarterback, it's it's an amazing accomplishment. It really is in All this right. business. Let's move to this week's opponent, Baltimore. Other teams run the offense that they run to some extent. But here they are, 206 rushing yards per game, 202 passing yards per game, 33 points per game, 47% third down conversions, 17 of 24 on fourth down conversions. Time of possession, what, nearly 35 minutes a game. Why are the Ravens so adept at running this kind of offense, which some people try some of, but don't do to this extent. Well, they're all they're all in on this option offense. I mean, you, you say some people try some of it. I mean, you know, the the RPOs, which is run pass option, is is completely different from this. This is a true option game, and they run every form of option you can run, both out of one back and out of two back. They run speed, power, counter, uh, uh, follow. They run every type of option you can. They run it out of different personnel groups. They give you different looks. They use that 13 personnel, which is a hard personnel group to line up to and match up with anyway. And then they've got the right combination of people. When I talked to Ozzie Newsom about this, I asked him, when did you go all in? Because they are willing, and they were willing as an organization, to put the quarterback as the primary runner in this offense because, because he is. Now, you know, Ingram's doing a, a tremendous job, and it all it all generates, the option does, from the first mesh, the first mesh with the running back. But this quarterback, they don't care how much he runs. Most people protect their quarterbacks from running. In the National Football League, their quarterback is the primary runner, and he's very skilled at it. I talked to Logan Ryan about Baltimore and the offense and what they've been able to do. And he kind of rolled his eyes at me. He was like, you know, it's not that impressive. It's what they do in college all the time. Like, it's a college scheme, basically. He said the thing that makes it so impressive is that they're running those college formations, those college-style plays with professional athletes. So the execution level is so much higher. So he said that it's really about figuring out what they do isn't necessarily the hard part the athleticism and being in position to actually stop them from doing it is the hard part. Yeah, and it's just so different. I mean, and it's not what you're used to seeing on Sundays. And they've got a quarterback who they've turned it over that's just you know hard to pin down. And he's so elusive. And I think the fact he throws the ball so well kind of gets overlooked because he's such a great athlete. So that, that you know, the guy running the show on offense has had a – heck of a lot to do with their success and I think is the MVP of the league. Yeah, Lamar Jackson averages 12 carries per game. It's, and he's getting him in tw- I mean he's getting 20 25 yard chunks uh, mm-hmm. when he when he breaks free. All right, so let's talk about the guy running the overall Baltimore offense. It's a guy named Greg Roman. Greg Roman was in San Francisco when Colin Kaepernick was there and he set up the system for Kaepernick. You played against him. Several times. Several times in the NFC West, Coach Mack. So Greg Roman was in San Francisco when Super Bowl Forty Seven happened. San Francisco played Baltimore. And Dean Pease, the Titans defensive coordinator, went against Greg Roman head-to-head in terms of scheme. So that's going to happen again this weekend. Dean Pease against Greg Roman. 
Does it help Dean Pease that he has done this against Greg Roman before when Roman was running this type of offense in San Francisco? It absolutely does. It absolutely does because he, I mean, you know, of course Dean's been doing this a long time, but when you're, when you're getting ready to get a, a, an NFL defense ready for the option and it goes to what Jim said, I mean, you don't see it a lot. So you have to you have to have a very concise and clear plan when you first present it to the players, and then you have to walk through alignments, assignments. Uh, Dean, having done this before, and of course Dean has a vast amount of experience, but his experience against Greg Roman, I went against Greg Roman when I was in the NFC West with the Rams and with San Francisco when Kaepernick, you know, was running this. These uh, Baltimore has taken it to another level. Because they, this it is their offense. It is their offense totally. Greg Roman, when he was at San Francisco, did not have the free reign to run the whole thing. He's got it now. So this is even more detailed. But it will help that Dean's gone against it. Yes. All right. Let's go to another point. These two teams played last October in Nashville, and you can't really talk about the offensive thing with Baltimore because Joe Flacco was still the quarterback. We've got a Joe Flacco problem. Joe Flacco's somewhere else now. Thank God. He, yeah. <laughs> I'm done Titan with Joe took Flacco. Loss to Joe Flacco yeah, back. To, uh, I, yeah. I think I'd rather have Joe Flacco back there on uh, on. I don't know. I don't I mean, know. We, we didn't do much with Joe Flacco <laughs> over the years, so I, I don't know. So the game – but the thing we can talk about is the Titans' offense against the Ravens' defense and Wink Martindale, the greatest name in, in sport. It makes me so happy. Well, you know, Wink Martindale's from Jackson, Tennessee. Really? Yes. Well, it sounds like a country song. It's not song. the same guy. Well, Wink Martindale was the game show host and the and also the um, disc jockey who's originally from Jackson, went to Memphis, was great friends with Elvis, as a matter of fact. And happy birthday, Elvis. Happy bir- Elvis would have been 85. Hmm. That's right. So, But Don Martindale is a longtime protege of Dean Pease, who when Dean Pease retired and then came out of retirement to come to the Titans, took over the Ravens' defense. Last year, in the game here in October, the Titans put up a big 106 yards against Wink Martindale's defense, not the game show host. The, the play, other guy. Yeah, yeah. The other guy. One of ten on third downs. Titans had the ball for 22-26 in the game. I mean, it was a beatdown, no question about it. So here's my question. Will Arthur Smith, the Titans offensive coordinator, be able to pick up much from Wink Martindale's plan from last October that he can use this Saturday night? I think some, but I think that what he's going to mainly draw from is just what he's seen this year and just the way they've approached things and just the way they pressure because that's what they're known for. I mean, that that was one of the ugliest Titans games Ooh. that we've uh, <laughs> ever seen. It was kind of a perfect storm the wrong way. And, that's, you know, Marcus was taking sacks. Offensive line was giving up sacks. Titans couldn't, couldn't get sacks, anything going. It was terrible. Price was wrong that day. The so, price was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Tic-tac, No. <laughs> That is so good, <laughs> both you. of you. So, um, I, so I, I think the key. I mean, whammies, the, no whammies. Oh my yep. gosh! I mean, there was no Ryan Tannehill that day. No AJ Brown. You know, Derrick Henry wasn't the Derrick Henry note we know now. So the Titans have more pieces to counter some of the stuff they're going to see on Saturday night against Baltimore. But uh, it's a challenge facing that defense, and I think it's one of these games where you're going to have to continue to try to run the football against them to kind of keep them on their heels a little bit. Yeah, well, look, Wink learned defense from Dean Pease. I mean, so you can see a lot of Dean Pease's defense in what, in, in what Wink is doing. Now, Wink, Wink is basing, you know, on paper, they say on a 4-3, but he's bringing people from a lot of different areas. So 
but he's going to give you like a variety of mix. And, and yes, that will help some. Arthur will look at that, but he also has a big body of work to look at this year. The difference with this defense this year, this defense that Wink has this year has been playing with so many points on the board that they can do a lot of different things. Having been a defensive signal caller in this league, I can tell you it's a lot easier to dial up a lot of real cool things when you've got a lot of points to play with. He's had a lot of points to play with this year, so he's been more creative than others. All right, Amy Wells, you get the next one. Okay. Outside of – and everybody's going to get it here. Outside of Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, give me a Titans player who must – have a good game for the Titans to have a chance to win in Baltimore Saturday night. I say AJ Brown because the Tennessee Titans are gonna need some points. I think I, this isn't going to be one of these thirteen to fourteen type of plays. This is going to be a game where the Tennessee Titans need to put a lot of points on the board, and AJ Brown's the guy to do it. Coach Mack, it's going to be both safeties on defense and whoever is setting the fronts for the defense. What do you mean by setting the front? Got, you got to get lined up right against this offense because the different formations and different personnel groups you're going to see because by the, well, the way you line up, it, it determines what your your responsibilities are versus the option. The dive, the quarterback, the pitch. And you've got to get lined up quickly. So whoever is setting the front and then the two safeties because the two safeties are your guys that have to be the extra guys in the option plays. And they got to come up and smack people. Well, and they've got to know where they're coming up, too. I mean, you can't have both of them running up at once because they've got some people that can get over the top of your head, too. Coach Mack sort of went Jim Wyatt on us there. He didn't just give us one player. He cheated. So let's see if Jim Wyatt goes <laughs> Coach Mack here. I'm going to say Rashawn Evans. Cause, okay. uh, and, and well, Coach kind of said that. Well, I Play him within but, the rules, Jim. Yeah. I like it. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, and, and Rashawn Evans made a couple of huge plays by the goal line, that goal line stand on uh, on Saturday night, and I think he's going to be this team's leading tackler on uh, Saturday night, and he's going to tackle well. So I think uh, I'm going with Rashawn Evans. All right. Well, that's a good answer. Okay. So another topic towards football, the XFL is going to have Dean Blandino as the person who does all of their officiating. He's going to be in charge of the officiating. Good hire. Good hire. They came out with their rules, and some of them are, are very different than the NFL. Some of them make a lot of sense. Some don't. But, I mean, these these weren't designed by the, the Road Warriors and The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. These were designed by actual football people, giving the XFL some credibility. Dave McGinnis, what rule that was announced for the XFL would you like to see the NFL adopt going further? You know the rule I like is the, the three options on the extra point. And the three options are? Well, you can either you either can take it from the one-yard line and get one point, from the two-yard line and get two points, and you can't kick any of these. Right. Or from the three-yard line and get three points. I like that. Amy Wells, what XFL rule did you like? We forced you to study the XFL rule. That's okay. Well, that was my first one. So I'm going to go with, and this isn't really a rule, so now I'm cheating, but they're bringing in an outside firm to provide some of the camera angles and different things to help with the officiating, and I think that is genius, and I think that the NFL should be doing that tomorrow. Okay. I think it's a great idea. Jim White? I'm going to say the 25-second play clock. Uh, which was one of the rules. And there were some quirky ones. There's a double pass in there uh, in addition you to the – You can double pass if you, – you can throw two forward passes if the pass is behind the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. so, so you don't uh, have to throw it backward to throw it forward. You can throw it forward behind the line of scrimmage and then throw it. That could lead to a lot of uh, confusion there. Um, could. 
But I'm going with the 25-second play clock, speed up the game. A lot of this was built around a faster game. Mm-hmm. I think it was a 10-minute halftime as opposed to a 12-minute halftime as well. But 25-second play clock to uh, speed up play and uh, uh, to keep games. I think that would keep games more interesting late instead of teams just running out the clock. It was interesting to me two things that really jumped out. The continuous running clock in outside of the final two minutes – they want to play in two hours and 40 minutes to two hours and 45 minutes, whereas the NFL plays in roughly 3.06 right now. So it's, that's interesting. The second one was the one foot down for the receiver. And the well, here's the lot. Amy Wells giving me that look. That's so great. I wish you could see that. <laughs> it, no, I get just... that look like 12 times a day from Amy Wells. It's so great. She can give you a disgusted look. Oh, I'm not she, disgusted. She hides I her just... emotions so well. I just oh, yeah, well, disagree. It, inside out. If you ever want to make a bunch of money, play poker with Amy Wells. <laughs> I'm just, a good poker just player. Just watch now. a Pixar movie inside out. Oh, That's gosh. Amy Wells. I like the one foot, though from the standpoint of what they say is it would be easier to officiate. It would make the game go faster. And so initially I read it and I have the Amy Wells reaction. I'm like, well, one, that's not, not. but then you see the logic and you're like, eh, that's, I, I thought their rule thing was uh, well thought out. I don't agree with everything. I don't love everything, but it, 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 where they're coming from, it's not as much gimmicky as it seems to be well-reasoned, well thought out, for the purpose of playing a faster game. Well, they're trying to speed the game up, and, and, that, and they don't want any ties. That's why they have the three options on the extra point. And the other thing that I like, I mean, I know you said one, but I'll say two, is that the extra official. Right. Right. And and I think that's coming in this league. I do too. Amy Wells, I'd ask you if you would pull a couple of OTPQs since we're in bonus playoff time here would you mind asking do you have a couple oh do i okay. yes i have two questions from the ot people the OT that i would people. like to post and to how you guys. do you uh, how do you submit questions to the otpqs titansonline.com slash otpq it's very you know intuitive all right it's exactly what you would think it would be all right so jacob in gilbert arizona would like to know is it possible for cameron wake or malcolm butler to come off of injured reserve to make a run for the super bowl and the answer is a double no, and that includes anybody that's on IR. The t- each team has an opportunity to, to recall two players from injured reserve during the course of the season, and the Titans called took Joshua Kalou off of IR the season. They put Ryan, took Ryan Suckup off of IR earlier the season, and even though Suckup has gone back on IR, you can't take anybody else off, so they're done. So Malcolm Butler made the trip to New England. That raised even more questions about whether or not he potentially could play at some point, but the answer is still no. All right. Josh from St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, team, Nashville native and lifelong Titan fan here. So excited to have beaten the Patriots. Now, as we head to Baltimore, I can't help but remember the 2008 season. Mm. The six-seed Ravens came to LP Field to play us as the number one seed, knocked us out, leaving a horrible taste in our mouth for our basically decade-long playoff drought. Tough, Josh. While none of this that team is still here, can the painful memory of the fan base translate as some sort of a revenge game for the city of Nashville? Does that permeate into the locker room? Uh, I, I think it's far-fetched to think that guys that didn't play in that game could have emotions. I mean, the fan base definitely feels it. And I, I talked to Chris Johnson, uh, he was who was in Foxborough, about that. And he, he says, you know, they're 
you know, we owed the Patriots because he remembered the 59 to nothing game in the snow. He said we owed the Patriots, and now we owe the Ravens for doing that to us. And now the roles are reversed. The Patriots, the, the Ravens are the number one seed. Titans have a chance to go in there and spoil their season. But, uh, you know, the, I mean, the fan base has worked up over them. I've already gotten emails. I see the stuff on, on social media. Um, they have very – bad memories of this uh series but um I don't, I don't think this year's titans can benefit from any emotion from those days i can feel the fan base though because <clears throat> i was on that coaching staff and mike keith was here and that to me that was a super bowl ring for this franchise because we were the best team in the league and we lose that game 13 to 10 with three turnovers in the red zone and I know why CJ2K is bad, because they twisted his ankle yep. at the bottom of the pile, gave him a high ankle sprain when they had no answer for CJ2K. None. I feel, I feel the fan base right there, because I've still got a pain in my heart for that one. That was a Super Bowl ring. There is such a thing as football karma, too. Mm-hmm. It oh, does exist. The, the only question is, does it exist this weekend? I hope so. I think CJ was 11 for 78 at that point and uh, and was running well. And he, and he and it's exactly what he said. He said, yes, somebody twisted my ankle under the pile. Jim, they couldn't stop him. They twisted yeah. it right there on the, on the on the left sideline. I can still see it. I mean, he's at the bottom of the pile. They couldn't stop him because cause Ray Lewis, as great as Ray Lewis was, Ray Lewis wasn't as fast as CJ 2K. And, and Mike Heimerdinger was wearing them out on the edges. And CJ was hitting the edge every time. Don't get me started talking about it again. I'll start crying. It's amazing how similar that game and the 2000 game were, too. 7-7 at halftime, missed opportunities, fumbles. I mean, the it, it was when we walked outside at halftime in 2008, people were scared because it was the, it was the same game. It was the same game as the 2000 game. And I mean, it was like you were, oh gosh, what a horrible memory. You know, and Too sorry, horrible. guys. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for bringing us down, Amy. Thanks for so, bringing that up. Well, it wasn't me; it was Josh from St. Louis. No, and it's legit, though. It is legit. It's legit. I mean, I know it's how legit he feels for, for 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 the fan base. It's That's why I say this would be a much bigger, not much bigger. This would be a bigger win than last weekend, from the standpoint of Titans fans, because of the Ravens' history with the organization and because it would get the Titans to the AFC Championship game for the first time in 17 years. That's the reason it's big. And, and, and ultimately, that's what it's all about, yes. is that you, you know you take one every win, you take one more step to the championship, which is why the win over New England is significant, and it's, it gives you credibility and all of this, but it was a wild card round. And, and nobody's looking for a bowl trophy except the Super Bowl trophy. Right. You know? Yep. You're, you're not looking to, oh, we advanced to the divisional round. I mean, that's great, and it's an accomplishment, and you don't want to take anything away from it, but you want to win three more games. Yep, there's more to do. Well, that, it, that's, that's why, Mike, what you say, that's why I really like the, the tone and the timbre of this football team because they won a big game. They were excited about it, but they were moving pretty quick towards the next one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Baltimore's really good. Well, they're the best team in the league right now, record-wise. And, I mean, just look what they've done. I mean, you're going to play good teams in the in the tournament, and we're in the tournament. Time for What's Brewing, brought to you by Duncan. The great-taste plant-based Beyond Sausage sandwich from Duncan is here with 10 grams of Beyond Sausage plant-based protein in between a toasted English muffin and delicious egg and cheese. Mm-mm. Duncan has created a brand-new way to start your day so you can add a plant-based boost to your morning's America. Runs on Duncan. Jim Wyatt, what's brewing with you? 
I tell you what, that last conversation led me right into my what's brewing, and that is I think the Ravens, um, the, the biggest rival this team has ever had, even though we've played in the same division as the Colts and the Texans and uh, and the Jaguars and have had some big games against the Steelers. When I look back at the, you know, the all-time series results, you can find so many of these games that bring back memories to you. And the, the Ravens are the first team that ever beat the Titans in, uh, in what was LP Field. 24-23. Yes. They Missed came, a field goal at the end. Came in here and, uh, and won the, the best Titans team, I think, that uh, has ever played Nashville was the 2000 team uh, that lost to the Ravens. And then they go in and win the Super Bowl in Tampa, beat the Giants that year. The Giants were terrible. So uh, that game, there was the two-by-four game when, 2001. in 2001. when uh, Week three. Yeah, and, and Jeff Fisher gave a pregame talk to the Titans about hitting them with the two-by-four. And that yeah, somehow that got – and I think he mentioned it to Sal Palantonio, who turned around and mentioned to to Billick. Billick, so yeah. Billick turned around missions to the team, and then that was their then emotion he, for that game. Then so he mentioned it to the whole world. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> there was a goal line play at the end of a of a Monday night game. Same when, year. Yeah, when uh, Steve McNair had scored on a sneak, but uh, they ruled the tight. The Ravens had jumped offside. They ran the play again, didn't get it. Uh, there was a playoff game that ended in positive fashion when Gary Anderson hit the field goal to win it there, and and uh, and that. That created a playoff game, AFC Held Championship Jam- game. Is that where I remember that? Is that the year the team no, went, they went to, to New, New England, England okay. the next week for the minus five degree game? The um, the story of that playoff game was Jamal Lewis had rushed for over two thousand yards, only fourteen carries for thirty five yards in that game. Great job by Jim Schwartz. Great job. Steve McNair, Derek Mason, Samari Roll coming back here to play against the Titans uh, after they had parted ways from this team. The playoff game in 2008 that we just mentioned. It's amazing that these teams have not played a lot recently, but all these games have meant something and come back, uh, you know, to the memory pretty quickly, which makes me think this is the best rival this team's ever had. And we've only been there one time in 14 years or something. Last time uh, we went in 2014, lost 21 to seven in a game that was tied seven all at halftime. We've beaten them up there. We beat we beat them up there when I was coaching. 2008. Here. Yeah, we beat on them the, up there uh, when when Ray Lewis got faked out on the Kerry Collins pump fake to Algie Crumpler. Remember that? Is that? So do I remember it? Not like you do, but do I remember <laughs> it? I mean, I'm serious. That was a that was a huge. It was fun. That is was a big win. Is that, that what was, got the, got this team to ten and zero? That's the ten and zero it was uh, the, start. Didn't get them to ten and zero. I think it was week three or four, okay. if I'm not mistaken. It was early. That was a big win. It was a big win. It was a big win. I like that Mike remembers like people and the exact details. Mac just remembers like ambiguous X's and O's moving that, around. No, that's, that's, <laughs> well, that's from our world. Yeah, that's our exactly. World. That's why he's Mike Keith. Well, there you that, go. That's why I'm he, Coach he's Mac. Coach Mac. That's right. All right, <laughs> Amy Wells, funny. what's brewing with you? Well, Mike, this is actually kind of about you because as we oh, record boy. this right now, it is January 8th, 2020, which means it has been 20 years since the Music City Miracle. And I'm wondering if you're exhausted because this is the day that everyone wants to talk to Mike Keith about the call that changed broadcasting and the play that changed the Tennessee Titans. No, I'm not exhausted. You're not? I I could talk about it all day, any day, with anybody, anywhere. Now, would I rather talk about the Titans winning a Super Bowl? Would sure. I rather talk about the Titans beating Baltimore this weekend? Would it, yes, I would rather. I would rather be talking about that. I, I'm, 
I'm more of a future aim than a past aim in terms of in terms of how I look at things. But there will never be a day that I will ever be not interested in talking about the Music City Miracle because I feel so lucky to have been there. It was an iconic call. Well, thank you. No, no, the guy icon- who made an, <clears throat> an iconic call was Pat Ryan. And that's the part, because Pat Ryan says the famous line, the line that gets most repeated to me, he's got something. And people will come up to me, they'll go, he's got something. I'm like, no, that's the (laughs) other guy. That wasn't me. That wasn't me, but thank you. Um, But Pat saw it. You and Pat are very similar, Coach. Pat saw it the minute Kevin caught the ball on the lateral. He, he said he's got something. In, in real time, he said he's got something. That's the most amazing thing that you guys can see the field like you do because all I see is the ball. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I never – I sounded shocked at the end of that play because I'm shocked. But Pat saw it and took it all the way forward. But, no, I mean, I, I'll talk about it as much as anybody wants to talk about it anytime, any place. And I've, t- I've talked about it in Europe to That's people. Cool. I've talked about it in every state I've ever visited. I mean, people say, I remember where I was, and I'm so thankful for that. It's I'm a thank- Hall of Fame call. Well, thanks. I, I'm, I, but I'm thankful I was there. And so I'll never act like, oh, no, you know, you get, some people won't sing their hits anymore because they're tired of if, – if that's all I got, I'll take it. How many times they ask you to be on in Buffalo? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> Not a lot. I've told the story before too. So at, <laughs> that's so good. This and this is a true story. So at where we lived before in Franklin, our first house, when we moved to Franklin, the people who moved into us next door were really nice people. Really nice people. Still there. Love them. Get a Christmas card from them. They're from Buffalo. They're massive Bills fans. They were fantastic to my children. They're great to my wife. They're just sort of okay to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's solid, though. Yes, I've been called the voice of Satan in (laughs) Buffalo, and I resent that. And then there's a part of me that goes, no, and you love it. (laughs) Say that. And you you love it. (laughs) But no, I'm not asked to do a lot of shows in Buffalo. It is very cool, though. I mean, even just this morning, especially with it being 20 years, and the Titans are in the playoffs now. Everything about it makes it feel so cool and such a proud moment like that I wasn't a part of. But to be a part of this organization now and to have that history makes me very proud. It was a prouder moment for Nashville Mm -hmm. because it was the moment that Nashville really became a big league franchise. When you won that playoff game over the Buffalo Bills, who'd been to the Super Bowl four times, and you do it in that way – I mean, it's so legitimized, the team's move and everything going on. I think it's another of the steps that Nashville took on the way to the Nashville that we know today. So I think it was, I think it was bigger than sports in that way. And that's something that if you're from here, it makes you feel really good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's – I mean, the fan base was already energized sure. with that season after a couple of years playing in Memphis and then playing at Vanderbilt. And then this team was really embraced and that kind of – put you over the hump and obviously started that run to the Super Bowl that led people to Indian Droves and then to Jacksonville and then end up in Atlanta and uh, that's where kind of where it started and it's it's like we talk about too with the fan base after the Patriots game the best part of this 
to me is seeing our fans get to have fun with everybody, seeing the, our fans get to see their team on Sports Center, on social media. Yes, they've poked fun at the Patriots. They've had enough fun poked at them that it's nice that they're getting to give it back and that their team is in the spotlight. That moment, the Music City Miracle brought them there for the first time. They really got to experience what it was like to be the fan base everybody's looking at for at least a moment. They're getting to feel that right now after beating the Patriots, and they deserve it because we've, you know, let's face it, we spent some downtime, way too much downtime, and our fans hung in there, and to see them getting to give the business back to some people, good for them. Yep. Well, That's a great Well point. deserved. Great point. Coach Mack, what's brewing with you? The playoffs are continuing this week. There are two Hall of Fame quarterbacks out of the playoffs, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. They're out. They're not, And the two top rushing teams in the National Football League still playing. Wow. Just think about it. Of all the gizmo and all the rule changes and all this and throw the ball all in the air and throw it around and this, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks out, two top rushing teams still playing and playing each other. Don't you think that's the beauty of football from – 100 years of the NFL, 150 years of the game overall. College football came into being in in 1869. The game is ever-changing. Some years it's all the passing teams. Some years it's all the running teams. some Some years it's a combination of all of the above. Since 1990, at least four new teams have made the playoffs every year. Last year, seven new teams made the playoffs. Five this year. The game never stays the same. No, and that's and that's and that is the beauty of it. It, it never it never stays the same, but it does stay the same because right. still, it's a physical game, and when it comes down to it in the playoffs, you've got to be able to impose your will physically on your opponent. You have to be able to do that, and you have to be able to play defense. That's great. All right, so what's brewing for me? How fast is Lamar Jackson? Pretty fast. All right, so. I went through, and I'm like, Lamar Jackson's really fast. How fast is he? This feels like a joke, right? Well, that was a joke (laughs) at one time, the 70s and 80s. How fast is he? Yeah. The truth is, I had forgotten that Lamar Jackson refused to run the 40 at the NFL Combine because there were teams that reportedly wanted to work him out as a wide receiver. So he refused to show them by running the 40. He did not run a 40 at Louisville's Pro Day either. I forgot about so all of So I kept this. digging. He actually ran a 40 when Bobby Petrino was the coach there in the spring of 2017. Bobby Petrino came out and said that he ran 4-3-4. No way. Yes. That's a tenth of a second Slower than Chris Johnson. And he's a giant human. No, no, he's not. He's, he's six, big. He's 6'2", 215. That's pretty big for... You think he's bigger than that? No, no, no. I say he's... he's he's Lean. He's Gumby. But yeah. that's big for I mean, for he looks like fast. he could be a wide receiver. The same oh, way there could, were people who be. believe... When he was coming out of Yulee, there were people who believed... The majority of colleges believed Derrick Henry was an outside linebacker. He looks like one. Right. And, and I think he would be a great one. But... This kid runs that fast. I knew he was fast, but it had not settled in my mind that he was almost towards Michael Vick 
fast. And that reinforces what Coach McGinnis was saying earlier in the show about responsibility, being lined up right, why he's done so many things that he has done running. I thought he was like Marcus Mariota, who was a 4-5-2. That's fast. 4-3-4? That's a whole different level. That's a whole different level. Yeah, and even if that was handheld and Bobby was a little bit off, still, anywhere you're – I mean, all you got to do is watch him play. Right. Because he's he's never caught – the issue with him running the option is this. You can be right and still be wrong. And still be wrong. Yeah. And that's the trouble. And we saw this in the 70s and the 80s when the option was really popular. If a quarterback's really good, it's impossible to defend. Well, and the other thing, we don't get too deep into ball here, but the the thing that that they've brought it to another level is, see, you used to to just, when you ran the option, I mean, when I was coaching in in the Southwest Conference and coaching in the Big Eight, when everybody was running the wishbone, everybody was just reading the end man on the line of scrimmage. Well, these guys have gotten so innovative now, they're starting to read the, the four technique. They start to read the three technique. They'll leave them unblocked. They'll start to read the second man off the ball. I mean, they've taken it to another level as far as to the man they're reading. And the man they're reading, that makes a difference as to who they're making the pitch off of or who they're making the give off of. This is, this is something you're going to have – this is going to take work to stop it. And work it shall be. Yep. Jim Wyatt, how do people follow you on the social media? At Jay Wyatt Sports on Twitter, Instagram, and then Titans Online is a place to go for every for everything. Videos, OTP, written content, 24-7, 365. I love the com. That's my first stop yep. every day. Yeah. Amy Wells, how are you followed on social media? At Titans Amy, A-M-I-E, on the Twitter machine and on Instagram. And how do people submit an OTPQ? Titansonline.com slash OTPQ. And you can hear Dave McGinnis and me on Titans Radio, along with Amy Wells and Jim Wyatt, this Saturday night, 6 Central for Titans Countdown, 6 Central, 7 Eastern. Kickoff is 7.15 Central time from M&T Bank Stadium, the divisional round. I hope we're back here next week preparing to go to Kansas City or Houston. That would be the plan. We will be. For Amy Wells, for Dave McGinnis, and for the great Jim Wyatt, Mike Keith thanks you for listening to the OTP.